0: When a child is diagnosed with a serious, life-threatening illness, the entire family is affected. These stories from those families, especially when faced with challenging decisions, will move and inspire you. The parents are courageous and resilient in their determination to keep their family strong. Courageous Parents Network promotes their insights so that others may also find hope and strength. Welcome to the Courageous Parents Network podcast series. In this episode, CPN's Jennifer Seidman talks with Gray Chapin, founder of The Blair Connection, a digital resource to support siblings as they experience the challenges of having a terminally ill brother or sister. Jennifer is a mother to three, Noah and Isabel, and their brother Ben, who died in 2014 from Sanfilippo syndrome. Gray is the younger sister of Blair, who also had Sanfilippo syndrome and died in 2017.
1: I have the pleasure today of sitting down with Gray Chapin to talk about our lives, caring and loving her sister and my son, both of whom had Sanfilippo syndrome.
2: Hi, I'm Gray. Like Jennifer said, my sister Blair had Sanfilippo syndrome, and she was diagnosed at age six. I was four at the time, and in 2017, she passed away. That same year, I decided that Since there was such a lack of support for siblings of the terminally ill, I started my own support website for those siblings called the Blair Connection.
1: We have that in common, you and I, that we both went on after losing someone that we loved to a rare disease to spend time investing in making sure that the community had more support for themselves Can you tell me a little bit more about the
2: Blair Connection so our
1: listeners can understand exactly how you get that information to the siblings that need it?
2: It's mainly a blog website. I post blogs about three times a month to the website by siblings or also by guest contributors because I think it's pretty important to get other perspectives. So like, I'll have parents give blogs as well so that siblings can understand that they're not alone in their feelings and maybe their parents relate to. Some other pages on the website are the photo wall, which allows siblings to share photos of their siblings. And they can really just express themselves in any way possible that just helps them heal. And that can be through interviews like this, or phone calls, or songs, dances, really anything.
1: It's fun to partner up with you, Gray, because at Courageous Parents Network, of course we want to help and support the siblings and they can come on our website and look at the materials we have. But ours are really geared towards helping the parents care for the siblings as they're going through the journey. Whereas your website is about siblings relating to one another. I recently watched a presentation that you gave to the National MPS Society at their conference And you talked a lot about 25 things that siblings wish they could talk about or share. Can you tell me a little bit more about those and maybe tell the audience that's listening today some of those things?
2: That was a blog that I still haven't posted. And I told the siblings there that it might be the realest one that I've written yet. And I haven't finished it yet or decided how many I'm going to have because I'm still always going to have that in the back of my mind, like deciding what to post, what's too real, what's too deep, but I shared some during that speech, and the crowd was full of MPS siblings who could relate, and I asked them to raise their hands when they related to something. So I think the ones that I listed then were, have you ever been jealous of your sibling, which I wrote a blog about on my website. I think that's like a feeling that people wouldn't really expect, but And you know, siblings can feel guilty about that, but it's definitely very common. And then have you felt guilty that you're the healthy sibling and you don't have MPS? I talked about friends because it's definitely like difficult to express your feelings to your friends who obviously cannot understand what you're going through. And for me, like after my sister passed away, making new friends and how do you tell them? So that's one of the things I talked about as well, which definitely they could relate more to the like guilt and jealousy. I think everyone has different relationships with their friends, whether they want to share or how supportive their friends are.
1: Let's talk about some of those issues, if you don't mind. I recently sat down with my own son, Noah, and did a similar conversation to the one we're having, and we talked a lot about some of those same issues that you just talked about, which is feeling guilt about you being the healthy one versus them having a disorder. How do you explore that or think about that as a sibling?
2: It's definitely something that you like try to keep to yourself, but definitely like when near the end of my sister's life, when she was going to the hospital more because that didn't really happen throughout her life, it was that feeling of guilt of having to be there like sitting in the waiting room instead of with her, that kind of thing.
1: So was it guilt or was sometimes were you resentful that you were going through these experiences and you were watching your friends, for example, maybe not having similar Mm -hmm. experiences?
2: I think it's definitely that too. In my jealousy blog, I wrote about how my friends will complain about certain things about their siblings and I'll just be sitting there like, you know, I wish I had those things. Their sister like stealing their clothes or whatever. I wrote about things like that that... I would feel like resent that I couldn't have that same experience.
1: Yes, Noah talks about that in his interview. He says that he wanted to just have a regular brother to do regular brother things, and he was jealous of his friends that had it, but also resentful Mm -hmm. of the fact that he didn't have it. So I think that's a very Mm -hmm. common thing, and you're very Mm -hmm. brave to bring it up and talk about it. Do you Mm -hmm. feel as a sibling pressure to be perfect or not make mistakes? Mm -hmm. And if you feel it, Did you feel it more when Blair was alive, or do you still feel it now?
2: I'd say I definitely did feel that more when she was alive because there had to be this sort of trust between my parents and I. When they're taking care of Blair, I'll keep up with my homework and get good grades. And you know, that was never something that they said, but it was just like, as the sibling, you feel like you sort of have that responsibility to take care of your family in that way because it's one of the only ways that you can. I think even though I don't feel that way now, it still has gone on and like made me like a better kid and like better student, even though I'm not doing it really for Blair anymore.
1: Noah talked about that as well, that he just felt like he didn't wanna create another ripple. Mm-hmm. So it was easier to just behave well because it was one less ripple mm-hmm. that we as the mom and dad would have to care about or deal with. And I want to ask another question if you don't mind. I sometimes find myself having to stop myself because I don't want no one in Isabel to do things that are potentially dangerous to themselves. So I'll give you an example, and this is not necessarily dangerous. But Isabel came home and said she had started going rock climbing with her boyfriend. And he's a very good rock climber, and I have every confidence that they're doing it safely. But it made me, for a little moment, just a little twinge inside of me, a little bit nervous. And I wanted to say to her, please don't do that because I'm so afraid that something will happen to you. You feel that pressure to sort of stay safe or to stay in a middle zone
2: i mean probably like that kind of relates to the being perfect part of it because that doesn't only like relate to grades it's also like going out and like doing things with your friends i think i probably feel that in the back of my mind but it's not something that necessarily like controls everything that i do
1: when I was interviewing Noah, he said, yeah, you know, we used to create these versions of Ben, especially after he started losing some of his ability to communicate with us. And so we would read between the lines and create his personality. We always knew when he was little, he liked the TV show Arthur. So we would assume that anything Arthur related or similar would be part of his personality or he loved farm animals. Mm-hmm. So we would talk about how he would be a, you know, a farmer when he grew up, even though by the time he was 14, he might have outgrown that, right? If he were a regular, typical sibling. And right. I know Blair's big thing was Barney and the mm-hmm. love for Barney. And and we would create these images of Ben in our head. And Noah would tell me that sometimes that image felt so perfect mm-hmm. that it was hard to be Ben's sibling because in in thinking about him, and now he would say in, in remembering Ben, we remember him perfect. When you think about your sister, do you have that experience?
2: I actually like just wrote a blog about that. For her birthday, I wrote about, because it was her 18th birthday on December 21st, I literally like, wrote a blog, like imagined versions of my sister. I have that same thing where like, I like a month before I emailed a bunch of my family and Blair's old caregivers, and I said, could you send me like a few details of what you think would be in Blair's adult life? what college she'd be going to, what city she'd be living in, her personality, what her high school would have been like. I created three different versions and wrote little diary entries from Blair's perspective. There wasn't one that I could like stick to because there were some that like I thought she would be like and there was some that like I wish she would have been like. And there's also like the fact that she was friends as a kid with like some kids that are now seniors at, like, Highland. So then it's like, oh, would she be in their friend groups? And, like, Luke McMahon, who sang that song for her a few years ago, he would say, like, he's wearing his wristband because Blair's at prom with him. You know, he's... She is in his, like, senior year with him. So it's, like, thinking about that, since, like, she'd be going to the same school as me, would she be in, like, the Mean Girls friend group? Which, Which she wouldn't, but... Would she be, like, a partier? Would she be, like, an animal lover? Because she had all of those attributes, but you never know, like, what she would have grown up to be. So I think one of mine was the partier. I think she went to, like, University of Miami in that one. One of them, she went somewhere up north and loved traveling. One of them, she went to UF and helped my aunt at her horse farm, became a vet.
1: Writing those essays, how has it helped you in your own grief or in your own exploration of keeping your relationship with your sister even though she's not here anymore?
2: It's definitely helped a lot. That blog specifically, December 21st was right after exam week and also after I did that speech at the MPS conference. So I had been pretty busy that week and I ended up writing that whole blog on her birthday. And my parents were like, what do you want to do, like, anything special on her birthday? And I was like, I just have to write my blog. And it was kind of healing to be, like, on that day writing that blog. And it definitely has been for the past two years doing the same thing.
1: Writing is a way for you to explore your feelings and Mm -hmm. to sort out your grief. Writing
2: and also two blogs, one I have published and one I'm still working on, are about music and photos. One of them, I picked seven songs that have certain lyrics that remind me of Blair, and I picked out certain ones, listened to them several times, and then editing photos in like symbolic ways to show our relationship more, because I have thousands of pictures with Blair, but obviously you always wish you had more. I'll edit them in different ways so that it's like a new picture. Writing blogs and definitely music and photos are ways that I'm relating it to my website that help me.
1: Do you worry about forgetting
2: Definitely, but there's certain things that I feel like I'll never forget. Sometimes I worry that I'll forget how she felt, how it felt to hug her or like kiss her on the cheek, stuff like that. But at the same time, I don't think I ever will.
1: Do you have any problem if we talk about Blair's end of life? Because I think there's a lot of siblings out there that go through this experience and there's no one in their class or in their friend group that they can talk about this with. And it's, it's scary and it's unusual. So I know in my own life, just talking to your mom helps me process my own grief and my own experience just to share what happened in our lives. Do you feel comfortable telling me a little bit about what was in your head in those days? Well, your mom and dad told you, and then you were preparing and being together.
2: I was just reading a blog that I wrote a year and a half ago about her funeral and how it was so strange that we were like preparing for that before she even passed away. I said, in this room... Because this used to be her bedroom. Like, we would be sitting in this room and we would pull, like, all the chairs in here so that we could all be, like, right by her bedside. And I'd be, like, shopping for a dress for, like, the service, like, next to her and, like, writing my speech and all of that, which is, like, so strange and, like, not something that people usually do. And I think it was also weird because I was, like, 13 that's such a weird age for something like that to happen. I think about, like, how different it would be if it happened now. Like, I was in my phase where I was, like, playing with slime. Like, that's bad.
1: What would you tell another sibling? Like, what advice would you have about the days around the time that your sibling is going to pass away?
2: Obviously, spend, like, as much time as you can just, like, sitting next to them and, like, laying next to them and, like, maybe, like, Taking pictures if like they feel comfortable with that like I have cute video like Blair always had her like little snore But like as like the end of her life like it got so much louder <laughs> And I have like a cute video of like me holding her hand and like moving over and it's like her snoring I'd say definitely that but also like make sure that you're taking care of yourself We were all sleeping in this room my parents Blair and I were all like sleeping in this room and obviously not getting much sleep she passed away on April 4th. We thought it could have happened on April 1st, April Fool's Day, which we thought that would have been funny. Not funny, but... <laughs> Ironic, yeah. Yes. So there was, like, several days where we were just there because we didn't know when it was going to happen, like you said. And the night of April 3rd, my parents were like, great, like, go sleep in your bed, get some sleep. And I think Blair waited because at, like, 9 a.m., my parents woke me up and I had gotten a full night of sleep and they came in and she like took her last breath. And I'd say like that was definitely important because obviously the days following that were pretty important to like getting ready for her service. And if you haven't gotten sleep or if you've obviously been in that state, it like makes it so much worse. So take care of yourself as much as you can.
1: I know you spoke at Blair's funeral and, and you did a great job because I was sitting in the audience. And Noah also delivered Ben's eulogy.
2: Did you feel driven to do that? I, like, always expected that I would. I'd think about her funeral, like, more than anything else years before because that's, like, the only thing I knew that was going to happen. I definitely thought I was going to be a part of it, like, in that way. I didn't think I'd just be sitting in the audience.
1: Noah says the same thing, that all along, throughout Ben's life, he was sort of planning out the funeral in his head. Not, Mm -hmm. like, the details of who was going to do what, but sort of the detail of how he would participate.
2: Yeah, I had, like, dreams about it. And one one of the things, like, I think I had a dream that I'd stand at the door, and as, like, all the kids walked in, I handed them, like, a highlighted lyric of A Thousand Years by Christina Perry. My dream was that like everyone stood up at like different parts and sang lyrics from a thousand years and I like played on the piano which is like a weird dream but it's, it's definitely something that you think about especially as a kid because like I said like that's all you know yeah. of like what happens at the end of someone's life is like their funeral.
1: So I've been asking you all the questions in this little experience and I've been really appreciative because as I said to you before sometimes there's things that I've always wanted to ask Isabelle and Noah but I just didn't know how or I didn't want to make them feel awkward and is there anything you wish you could ask a rare disease mom that you would be curious to know the answer to?
2: What do you think the most important quality and I'll tell you mine for like parents and siblings to have when you're like in this situation is?
1: Yeah so I think that having as much as possible I've learned that it can never be perfect but to always having honest conversations and open conversations mm-hmm. so in our house we really worked hard at not hiding the truth from Isabel and Noah so that if Ben had some new problem or a change in his abilities or we had a change in what it meant on our lifestyle. Like we couldn't go do something maybe because you know now Ben was in a wheelchair and it got too complicated. Mm -hmm. Trying to have really honest conversations about those things. I'll give you an example. So at one point Ben needed, we were debating whether or not for him to get his spine fused and that's pretty major surgery. And he was already in a wheelchair and pretty disabled at that point. And we knew the surgery would be really hard on him and he might not make it or it might make his, you know, his behavior become worse. And we really had honest conversations with Isabel and Noah about it. I never wanted them to feel responsible for the decision, Mm -hmm. but I wanted them to feel like we were always including them in the decision. Yeah. How about you? What would you say?
2: I said trust, which kind of relates back to what we talked about in the beginning of, like, being, like, the perfect sibling or, like, the perfect student or whatever. I think that at least when the child is alive, you have to sort of trust each other that, like you'll come to each other if something's wrong. Yeah, like maybe that you'll
1: do the right thing, find the right way. hmm Do you think that's because if you trust, you have less worry?
2: Probably, because then you feel like you don't have to worry about each other as much if you like trust that if something is wrong, you'll like come to each other about it, for sure. I feel like parents on CPN, and I haven't read that many of the blogs, so I'm not sure, But I'd assume that they're probably more open to like going deep into their story or like darker maybe than like siblings who probably try to keep it more like lighthearted. Which one of those do you think is like not better, but like how do you think it's different for like the healing process of like writing.
1: So it's funny, we talk a lot at CPN about how telling our stories and sharing our stories is not only beneficial to the person that's listening to the story, but it's actually really super beneficial and therapeutic to the person who's writing the story, the blog, or the person who's telling it in their video interview or like us right now, just having a conversation. Mm -hmm. This conversation is going to help me be a better mom to Isabel and Noah. And it's also going to help me think about the things that are going to help me heal from my own personal grief. And Mm -hmm. so we really believe that. I think it's easier sometimes for parents to go deeper, not all parents, to be honest with you, you know, if you watch my videos on CPN, I have one where I, I said I just wanted Stuart, who didn't process things as as the same as me, to stand on the edge of the cliff with me and look over the edge, and that wasn't his way of of dealing mm-hmm. with what we were doing with Benjamin. You know, he was different. So everybody's different. Right. I think it's hard for siblings because you're growing up, and like you said, even with your normal friend groups, like what group are you going to belong to anyway? and And you don't have the ability to have a common experience with necessarily even one of your classmates, right? Mm. And that makes going deep a little bit harder. Right. Whereas when you're a parent, sometimes even the parent that doesn't have a child with an exceptional situation like Blair and, and Ben, they still probably have the some of the same concerns and worrying about parenting right so we get we get sort of a baseline that might make it easier for us to talk about deep things mm-hmm. but I also think that siblings generally get ignored to be honest with you I think there isn't a lot of resources. that's why I'm so happy to team up with you today and talk about this mm-hmm. to see what you're doing because I think siblings don't have a lot of resources out there to support themselves with mm-hmm. one another
0: Thank you for listening. For more stories and conversations, as well as videos, downloadable guides, and decision-making resources in English and Spanish, visit CourageousParentsNetwork.org. CPN is available 24-7 for parents and providers as they strive to provide the best care for the child and the entire family.